Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, <laughs> Thanks, right. Jack. Yeah, well That's done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could be like, that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. Tonight we have another feedback session spin-off with author Mark Smith. How are you, Mark? I'm well, thanks, Danny. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on again. I know we've spoken about your series before, which I absolutely loved, but it's lovely to have you back, but for a different purpose this time. So we're going to delve deep into the drafts, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I love the idea. Of it. it's, um, this is the sort of stuff that you really only talk about with other writers, so I'm mm. really I'm really happy that someone's doing something where we can share this sort of process with, um, with other people as well. And thanks for being brave. And now I need to introduce a man who doesn't need any introduction because this is our brainchild in the middle of the night on Twitter, Ben Hobson, who has Hobson fight, <laughs> smashes out the words, puts us all to shame. And then I said, hey, how about sharing some of those drafts? And he said, yes, and here we are. Here we are. Yes, indeed. I'm very excited to uh, have been reading Mark's drafts. It's been Really, really interesting. And I think one of the, my favourite things about this series is trying to unpick how a person, how an, an author reads back their work and then can actually say whether or not it's working. Like that is such a strange thing to me because when I read back my own words, I think I can get lost into it a little bit and I just don't know. It feels like I've got this thing in my hands and I don't know what it's actually supposed to be and does it make sense? And um, I'm really interested to hear, Mark, how you've, how you've sort of gone on that journey and started to shape and change this first chapter of this novel. Mm, before we go into an elevator pitch, it's really interesting, Ben, that you say that because we've just come out of doing a nano series and I remember Tristan Banks saying that once he has that first terrible draft, he now has a conversation between his present self and his past writer self. Is that how you guys feel when you do that? Is it better, obviously better than the blank page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely better than the blank page. Um, I think that I think that you uh, com coming back to a second or a third draft, you, you can actually put that 
whatever that section of writing is you're looking at, you can put it into a context, which you can't do until you have that first draft there. Um, and I think it is putting it into that context because from there now you know, and I, I'm really pleased that we're dealing with my first chapter here because I, I think first chapter is the most critical chapter mm. in the novel. There's so much um, heavy lifting that, the, that that chapter has to do. And I, it's probably the one that, that with, for myself in my writing, that I, I probably do the most amount of work on. The first one, two, three chapters um, especially because I'm writing for young adults and because this is where I've got to grab them. And if mm -hmm. I don't grab them immediately there, um, I, I, I don't know, Ben, how you feel when you're writing, uh, you know, the books that you write, but, um, but whether because they're directed at an adult audience, do you feel as though you have a little more time to, um, to, to sort of do that job of grabbing hold of your audience? Yeah, like whether or not I get a little bit more patience um i'm not sure honestly i think that there's still the same type of um onus to to hook someone in i still think that's still there um when we when you were just talking then about how you can place that first chapter in context i remember for um to become a whale which was my first novel i wrote that first chapter and it was probably the thing i labored over the most and you would just keep coming back to it and you'd do something else. But then in the same writing session, you would go back to that first chapter and you'd fiddle with it a little bit. And it got to where I was doing my first round of structural edits. And there were a couple of notes about things that weren't quite working in that first chapter. And I ended up completely deleting it. And I started from where the second chapter started. So it was 5,000 words that I'd labored over more than any other words in the whole novel. And it was just, I've heard this expression once in a short story workshop I did with the Queensland Writers Centre, but it was, I was throat clearing. It was like, it was like, <coughs> I'm about to speak. Yeah. And I didn't need all that throat clearing. I could get to it a lot quicker. I still, yeah, the, that first chapter just has to, you know, it has to hook someone in, it has to establish the world, it has to establish interesting characters, it has to start the, the plot, it has to be different enough that it's not boring, but it also has to be samey enough that it's not jarring. Like, <laughs> it has to do so much heavy lifting. Um, mm. It's such a tricky thing to get right. And I like what you said, like, once you've got the rest of your context, you can come back and kind of apply it. Yeah, I, I remember when I submitted The Road to Winter for the first time and, and it was picked up by text and um, they, they loved the whole manuscript, uh, but the very first thing that they said though was the first chapter. We've got to come back to the first chapter and we've got to, we've got to uh, build more into that because the rest of the story is great, uh, but you're not hooking them in quick enough. Uh, yeah. And, and it's a, it is a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a rookie mistake in a lot of ways for writers um, to, uh, I, I was kind of, most of that chapter where, as I wrote it was in, uh, you know, the, the whole of the story was in first person present tense, but I was trying to fill in too much backstory to try and get, <laughs> get everything in. This is where we are. This is where we are. And you lose, you know, you lose your readers in backstory if it's not done really carefully and succinctly. And we'll talk about that in the chapter that we're going to talk about tonight uh, from um, I'm With Hess. 
Mm. And do you think readers have changed, Mark? Because you look at classics and they, they often start slow and they, get, they take their time and they meander through the setting. And I don't mind that sometimes if you're in the mood for it. But do you think readers have changed now because it's such an important thing to hook readers, whether they're kids or adults? And it doesn't have to be an explosion hook, but it has to be some sort of hook of, of character or interest or intrigue or I want to turn this page or know more about this, this character. Yeah, I don't know about you, Ben, but I think that is something that is is more far more noticeable now. Um, and I, I think it's apart from anything else now, we have and, and all readers have um, there is there's an enormous amount of of books out there. And uh, you know, I, I I must admit I've got my I've got a fifty page rule. You know, if the if the if the writer hasn't got me within those first fifty pages. Uh, which means a lot of those classics I would never have read if I'd have actually applied that. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that, yeah. Uh, um, I would never have got through uh, War and Peace, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't just secretly, Mark. I bought it and I read it, well, three chapters of it, and I haven't gone back to it yet. That's a 50-page rule. My, yeah, my nana has a... My nana has a one-page rule. Wow, one page. That doesn't give much much yeah. chance for the she, author. She's hardcore. That's what she gave, that's what she gave me. <laughs> Did she keep going, Ben? Tell me about this book you've been writing, Ben. Oh, well, you know, it's out and I've got a copy here for you. Well, I'm not going to give it more than one page. I don't have that much time left. <laughs> nana. <laughs> wow, I love that. I love harsh, harsh yeah. grandma. She's great. Yeah, she's, she, yeah. Well, I, I think that's, I do think it's changed. I think what, when you're saying that there's so many other novels, I think there's just so many other ways to find entertainment. I'm not sure novels have to always be aiming to entertain. I don't think they have to, but at the same time, our, our attentions are so drawn to so many things that are way easier, like less work. Because mm. reading, I think, when you're, it's like exercise, it's like anything that's good for you. When you're starting out, it's, it feels like, oh, I'm going to sit down and read this thing. Once you're doing it, you're okay. Mm. After you've done it, you feel better, but it's the lead up into it. And so if you've read a paragraph and you're not enjoying it quickly, you just very quickly, you've got a TV, you've got video games, you've got yeah. social media. It's just, I think there's a lot of competition and so I think books have to work a little bit harder probably in those first chapters to really clue someone in. Mm, I think you're right because whenever you need a brain break, you just go to social media and start scrolling. I mean, it's a complete waste of time when you could be reading or doing something more interesting, but sometimes your brain's just like, I'm not there. I just need to do something mindless. And so it's easy. Yeah, social it's easy. Media is That's easy. Right. It's, there's no effort, whereas <laughs> reading requires something, which is quite good. <laughs> But it does require something, yeah. Now, Mark, give us an elevator pitch as to what this story is about and we're going to unpack a couple of chapters soon. Sure. Um, so this is the story of a, of a 17-year-old boy named Hess who is a, a young surfer in a small coastal town and uh, his life is turned upside down when a, uh, a Dutch girl, an exchange student, comes to the town and um, he forms a relationship with this girl, Fenner. And she brings a very European mentality with her um, because Hess's mother is involved in a campaign to shut down a coal mine and power station, which operate at the back of the town and always have. have been, it's been there for 50 years. And um, Hess is reluctantly drawn into this campaign uh, because Fenner wants to become involved as well. Um, so it hooks into 
the uh, student climate strikes um, that have happened all around all around the world, really. Um, and it um, so Hess becomes involved, and his life changes as a consequence of, of both meeting Fenner, but um, he he actually becomes overnight a kind of a, a worldwide phenomenon when something happens that just goes <laughs> on social media. So I love that. Yeah. You had me at um, you had me at Dutch girl. I have I've come from Dutch heritage, and I love Holland, so I'm right there. Well, it's been a it's been a really it's been a really interesting journey. I have two very close Dutch friends, um, and their daughters have been out here on exchange. Uh-huh. And so I used the two girls uh, who we know quite well, and they were really my sounding board. And everything that I got wrong in the first draft, <laughs> language and the what they call the Dutch directness and yes. uh, uh, it was, it was, it was fun writing this character. She's such, she's a gorgeous character, but she has all sorts of complicated issues around being here as well. So uh, I, I had a lot of fun writing it. I love that. I love how you brought up the Dutch directness because that is absolutely my dad and my family. They just say it how it is. I've got a little bit of that. You know, not everyone loves it, but hey, <laughs> it's genetic. <laughs> Mark, Mark, can I just ask really quickly, with, with that pitch you just gave us, which I think was really good, have you got that written down? Did you practice that at all or is that just uh, something off the cuff? That's the first time I've given that pitch. Oh, I love it. I've told anybody about it, really. Um, I've had a few people read early drafts. Um, my wife is a, is a great sounding board. Um, she gets first dibs. Um, and the two Dutch girls have both read it and set me straight, but they also really loved it. And now it's text have got it. And, you know, I had that, had that wait between submitting something that they had no idea what it was and then waited a week for the email and, and they said that they loved it. So that's, that's a, you know, it's a relief. And, and it's a long wait that wait. Yeah. It is a long wait that week. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I don't know, Ben, about you, but I think you get a sense that you've written something that's, that's okay or pretty good, and uh, but you just don't know how it's going to be read by somebody else. Yeah, I think I can be, if I'm being honest, I think sometimes my taste can be more strange than maybe what people like sometimes. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is great, and someone reads it, they're like, oh, no. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But... um. Yeah, maybe you've just got a more finely tuned taste, Mark. A bit more experience there. <laughs> I love that, Ben. Yeah, no one likes what I like. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, yeah, I was, the contract was signed with text on a like a one thousand word outline, so it had a had a reasonable idea, but mm. they hadn't obviously the manuscript, so they were confident that it'd be okay. More mm. confident yeah. than I was. That was my <laughs> next question. This is a contracted book, so that's uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, and I've uh, it's it's a, obviously standalone, uh, quite different from the from the winter trilogy. So moving out of dystopian into current day, which I really enjoyed writing, and uh, I, I I've, I've I was initially reluctant to write another YA because I've got another manuscript that I'm working on that's in sort of an adult literary thriller, um, but. Sometimes it's just what the it's just what the publisher wants, <laughs> uh, and it was right at the it was right at the beginning of COVID, and they were sort of putting money up front, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little um, bit, you know. Mark, I remember last, 
Remark, I remember last time you were talking about how much you loved um, first person present and you're like, I love it. It's my favorite way to write. And, you know, I actually really like it too. I find the immediacy is really nice. And I'm looking at this. It is not. No, it's <laughs> first not. person. It is not present tense. What happened? Yeah. Well, you know what I think it was, was that in between finishing Land of Fences and beginning to write this one, I wrote 30,000 words of this literary thriller that I, and, and I just found myself almost automatically writing third person. Um, and I've slipped really comfortably into it. And I think I didn't even think about it when I started writing I'm with Hess. It just, it just flowed. It, it seemed right for the, for the story. Um, and I think it, I, 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 love, I love writing in first person present tense, but it also has its limitations in terms of, what you can what you can tell about what's going on um so this is sort of um what i call close third person so it's almost looking over the shoulder of this mm. of this character um and and it, it follows him it's every every scene has hess in it um but it just i think it just it just broadens the scope a little bit about what you can fit mm. into your story um and it actually helped develop the plot it helps develop the plot I think, in a, in a slightly different way, in a broader way. Mm, interesting. It was the first thing I noticed because I remember that about our conversation. <laughs> I feel like third person too, like, well, I think a couple of things on that, Mark. Number one, I feel like sometimes that can be overlooked, this idea when you're writing, like, I just thought it felt good. Mm. I think that's important not to overlook, just like, this is what my gut feeling feels this book needs to be. Mm. I think we can sometimes start to attribute things after we've done we've made a decision but in the moment a lot of the time it's just instinct hey you sort of go with what you feel yeah and i i I think there's a reason that uh danny you would know a lot of young adult books are written in first person present tense because Mm -hmm. it's that gives it that sort of sense of immediacy and it 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 draws readers into the story very quickly but i uh, but i've found I, i think you can do that just as well writing in third person it just takes a it's just a different approach yeah i think you can get close to the characters either way i just think it, it almost needs to be invisible i think it's just because we are unpacking the writing <laughs> that, yeah. that uh, we notice it but as a reader i think that needs to not even come into your head i think yeah. yeah yeah do you want to tell us about the three drafts you have shared with ben and i tonight okay well um as i said the the first chapter is so critical because there's so much that needs to be done there. I mean, as Ben mentioned, um, you've got to establish these things that are going to carry the book forward. So you've got to establish character, you've got to establish setting, you've got to be a little bit of exposition. And because it's YA in particular, there's got to be some action in that first, um, in that first chapter as well. And, and wherever you've, you've brought a char- with you know, a central character like Hess who drives the story, we've got to have a little bit of backstory so that the reader has some context about who this boy is and why he's behaving in the way that he does. Um, and so you've got to fit all of those things in um, and you've got to get, and then get to the action relatively quickly. So um, the, the first readers that read this book said, yes, this book's really good, but it, but it starts at about chapter three, <laughs> uh, which told me that I, I had fallen into the trap that I mention in every writing workshop that I write, <laughs> that I run um, and fallen into my own trap. And, and that is that, um, you know, I hadn't done the hard work at the beginning of the story. 
to uh, to establish those things and to and to get the the get it moving, get get the narrative moving, which is what I'm what I'm trying to do. Um, so it's a relatively short chapter. I think it's only about a couple of thousand words. So um, I've got to because Hess is going to drive this story. It needed to be. Um, what's happening to Hess and, and Hess is immediately there. Hess is racing down the hill on his bike. That's the, the first scene and, and he's leaving his schoolwork behind in his bag and he's heading down for the surf. He's got his, he's got his board in the bike carrier um, and he has a particular relationship with, the, with this guy, older guy Theo, who runs the local surf shop and, and where Hess works on weekends. So I need to bring, I need to establish that fairly soon because Theo has a major role throughout the book. So I want, and through him, I can generate the backstory for Hess because um, this is no spoilers at all because it's happened, we learn about it on about the third page and that is <laughs> Hess's father was a surfer who died in the surf. Um, he was out surfing this huge break called Razor's and he's simply disappeared off the face of the earth. No board, no body, no nothing. And that was when, when um, Hess was 10 years old. So he's now 17 and Theo has kind of taken him in and, and, and taken him under his wing as a, as a kind of a mentor and a father figure. Um, and so, you know, so he's got to, on, on his way to the surf, he stops at the surf shop so he can get some wax and have this conversation. That means... It's a it's a ploy. I can bring Theo in. I can demonstrate their relationship, um, which is quite blokey but quite loving as well. Uh, and then he heads out to the surf, and we need now. Initially, we're talking about the drafts here. Now, in the first draft, uh, there was uh, you know there was a confrontation in the water when 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 Hess goes for the surf with this guy named Jago, who Jago is his, his, his nemesis, I suppose, a couple of years older than him and, and really has taken a dislike to Hess. Uh, so in the early drafts there, um, it, was, it was kind of, there's a bit of a hassle in the water, but not much more. And then, um, and, and then Hess finished his surf and came in. So not enough had happened. Um, and it was, you know, I thought the description of the surfing was okay, but um, but you know, from those early readings, uh, one of the one of the people I have a I place a lot of store in their in their point of view is my local bookstore owner, uh, a woman named Nicole, who who's who has read all of my books first um, and given me really good feedback. And she was the one who said something's got to happen there. Come on, it's got to be stronger. You've got to bring something in so that the action begins. So that I actually brought in a violent confrontation between this guy Jago and our, and our hero Hess, or our anti-hero Hess, um, so much so that he, he punches him and he's got a black eye coming out of the water. So um, it, was, it was just that, you know, it's all about, we know, we know that writing a novel is all about pacing, um, but you've got to bring that, you've got to lift that dramatic tension, especially, I think, with YA as early as you can. So going from that, what was just, an introduction of a character having a surf, having a bit of a hassle with a, having an argument with a bloke in the water and then coming in. Um, we decided, I decided to really switch that up and make it a violent confrontation where it actually punches him and he's got a black eye, swollen, swollen cheek and he comes out of the water. Um, and that then um, sort of 
it allows in the following chapters, which you haven't read, I know, but the following chapters where this black eye becomes the sort of the first point of any conversation that he has with anybody is, what happened with your eye? You know, <laughs> the other look like? Whatever. Um, so it actually worked really well, not just as a way of raising some dramatic tension early, but also of um, kind of bringing in other characters in second, third, fourth chapter, especially the young Dutch girl, Fenner, and their response to what they see of this boy with his, with his black eye. Mm, I love that you've gone to your local bookshop seller. <laughs> I oh, love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I look, it, it, to me, it was a no-brainer. From a, you know, the first manuscript that I ever wrote, I thought, okay, I've got this. I've got no idea whether it's any good or not. So who would know whether it's any good? Um, so uh, I thought, well, a bookseller, they read a lot of books, number one, so they'll be able to tell you whether, it can, whether it's got legs or not. And, they've, and they're speed readers because they have to read a lot of books. So it was ideal. I had a really good relationship with this local bookseller anyway. And so, uh, and she gives, and she's, the other thing is she's brutal, absolutely brutal. She's not afraid. To, I mean, we've got a really good, we've got a really good friendship um, and I've known her for a long time, but she puts it on the line and, and, it's, and it's really helped every one of the books that I've written. That's awesome. Mm. Um, can I can I ask just to, just as an observation, just in reading the two, and I think you've sort of mentioned it a little here. I feel like your instinct with that first draft, which was to just get him in the water quickly, as it's a dynamic kind of environment. I think that instinct was really great, but then in the in the rest of the draft, and I'm not meaning this is a slight at all, because I do the exact same thing. Yeah. But then it was a lot of him like paddling and thinking about, oh, Fenner, I met her, and then, oh, my dad, and, oh, this yeah. problem. And yeah. it wasn't something that was happening that we actually get to feel and see. You were just sort of telling memories of it, whereas in this newer draft, you've, you've backtracked all this way. So like you said, so you've set up all these actions where we can feel these relationships as they're forming and as they're happening which I think makes it way better. But I just wanted to say, I think the instinct to start in the water was a good one. Mm. But mm. then the tricky thing is trying to layer in <laughs> all this backstory, which is, as you said, it can get a bit... Um, it gets you, can't, really, you don't, you don't it feel it as much, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, gets, it gets too heavy. Um, and as you, as you rightly point out, Ben, it ends up with too much, too much telling and not enough showing, you know. Um, and particularly at the beginning of the of a novel, I, I don't think the reader wants to be told. I think they mm. just they, they want to see for themselves. Uh, and so by bringing in a single point of action, you can do that um, with, the, you know, with, with the violent confrontation in the water. Mm. You've got the drafts in front of you, Mark. Uh, I have, yep. Yeah. I've got them up here on the other screen, yep. Yeah. I'd love it if you could um, read maybe a paragraph of the very first one with, you know, the, the backstory that we're talking about just for listeners because we've read it, obviously, and you've written it. So to, yeah. to get them out of the dark, maybe um, a paragraph of some heavy backstory. Yeah. I'm, not sure that, I'm not sure that I've got that one here. I can read it if you like. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. I'm just going to read a paragraph of the first draft and exactly what you spoke about, Ben, just about that backstory and about of, of Fenner and how he was thinking about her and then maybe we can get Mark to read the latest yeah. draft and see how different they are. <laughs> so we'll start. It's just in the middle of um, the first draft. 
Fenner, she was first, this girl who had seemed to appear out of nowhere. She was the happiest disturbance to his life right now, though he still struggled to understand her. Kissing him one day, just disappearing the next. He wanted to be with her all the time, but whenever he got close, she put up more barriers. He knew it was her anxiety at work, but that didn't stop him feeling hurt when she ignored him. She needed space. He knew that, but all he could think about was the softness of her lips or the touch of her hand. He'd had girlfriends before, mostly awkward, half-assed relationships that were all about kissing and not much else, but Fenner was different. Just thinking about her, even out here, made him want to hold her body against his to feel her arms looped around his neck, her warm breath on his face, one hand pushing stray ringlets of her hair from her face. It's lovely, isn't it? But it's almost like you're telling the story to yourself about how he feels. And I just love the evolution. And you can do the reading of the the latest draft of how that changes. And you can read, I don't know, as much as you like of this one. Yeah, sure. What page are you on there? Because this is, um, like, I've got this, I've got the most recent draft in front of me and, do you know, um, virtually nothing of that is left. <laughs> I so, love that. I love yeah. that. Um, it's almost because, like a synopsis to yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was this, called Shut It Down and the other two drafts are called I'm With Hess. Yeah, yeah. So this is when, um, this is when our, our character Hess uh, there's no surf this particular day, so he takes out a um, uh, takes out a big paddleboard from the surf club and heads out into the middle of the bay, which is his happy place. Um, and he um, has the, has the opportunity out there to think. And um, so, yeah, it, exactly what you were saying there, Danny. It was, I mean, it it was it was too much. It was, in fact, I reckon probably ninety five percent of that has been stripped out. And wow. virtually doesn't exist in this, in this <laughs> draft. But it's um, funny, so it may not exist in the actual words, but I think when you read this draft, it exists behind it, you know, in the subtext. Yeah, yeah. So here's, here's around, around that paragraph now. Um, and it is, um, so he's pulled up in the middle of the bay and he's just lying on his back, floating on the board. Um, He closed his eyes and allowed the events of the last couple of weeks to wash over him. Fenner, the campaign, school, Felicity, the ongoing fuel with Jago. Being out on the water had a way of putting his problems into context, like they were anchored to the land and he could view them from a distance. His breath came easily despite the exertion of the paddle and he opened his eyes to stare into the pale afternoon sky. So it is, that's virtually, I think that is in that, that is the only mention of Fenner there now wow um, that's so uh, much like it's it's so good Look, i love that maybe it, also you reading it i really liked too but it was it was so good because it it it, it still gave the same feelings he had of fenner but, but as, yeah i think that there are there are most definitely parts of that and one of the reasons why that was probably stripped out was because there were very similar scenes uh between he and fenner um, and he's sort of reminiscing about those scenes, but uh, but the reader's already seen them. The reader already knows what's happened. So it was almost like, well, this is just repetition. And even though this was his opportunity to reflect on it, that's fine, except that, you know, we're covering ground that's already been covered. Mm, you've, so, you've, shown, you've shown us instead of just telling us things that have happened. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so it is... It, I mean, it's, a, it's such a... I, writing about this relationship between this girl from 
you know, not a, not a particularly alien sort of country. To it is, you know, it's a it's a, it's a quite an advanced European country. But she brings this European sensibility with her, um, and we've, we've talked about the the Dutch directness. And this boy is is taken aback by that directness at times. But as as is mentioned in what you read there, Danny, she also suffers from anxiety, um, and that anxiety, you know, she swings like a pendulum. So not only is this boy struggling with God, how do I, how do I sort of connect with this girl? But every day, you know, it, one day she's over here, the next day she's over here. Uh, one day she's pushing him away. One day she's pulling him um, towards her. You know, and I really liked playing with that idea of. I've, I've always, for a long time, I've wanted to write about about anxiety and the way in which it, it affects uh, particularly teenagers. Um, mm. And but um, it is. It's, the more I got into it, the more I realised it's a difficult sort of thing to write authentically because one person's authentic is different from another's when you deal with something like anxiety mm. and one person's experience of it will be totally different to another's. So I just had to try and find what I thought was a true experience in this context and see how it worked. Yeah, and you can't speak for everyone's experiences. No. You know, you can only speak from the character's experience and, you know, doing research into that, you know, you've got to then decide how your character's going to going to push through that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, can I can I just say really quickly? I, I really one thing I noticed in your first draft, Mark, which I was a bit envious of, was just how good the writing was. <laughs> and I think because my first drafts just feel ugly when I read them back. But one thing I just wanted to make mention of for any you know writers out there who are working their manuscripts was the passage that was read about Fenner. I, I hope everyone heard like how like accomplished the writing was. The sentences all flowed really well, had a great rhythm. It was great writing, but it still wasn't the right thing to put into the manuscript. And I think that distinction's important. I think that sometimes we can convince ourselves, oh no, I really, I guess it's that kill your darling sort of thing, right? Where maybe you've got to get rid of that beautiful writing and just keep it simple rather than elegant sometimes, I guess, maybe. It's such a good point to make, Ben, because it is really something that, that drives my writing and it's probably the most distinctive thing between drafts for me is, um, is uh, you know, as, as you know, when you get into the flow and you can come up with a, a beautiful paragraph you know and it, it almost comes it almost comes easily and there it is you know um but uh but then you you know you continue on you you write the rest of that chapter you move on and when you come back to that the next time you think yeah that's a beautiful piece of writing but it's got no place here you know mm, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd love to use it somewhere because i really, really like it um i i had a very similar thing when i wrote the road to winter because um, I had I had this beautiful scene. I thought it was one of the most the best pieces of writing I had done, and it was just um, and it, it described. I want to make the point that this young girl at this stage, it was a girl named Kaz, that she was a great horsewoman, you know. Um, and I wrote this beautiful, like two or three paragraphs of her with this wild horse that no one else could ride um, when she was enslaved on a farm, but. Um, but it was just, 
I've still got it somewhere because I couldn't ditch it completely. <laughs> I wanted to use it, but, but of course, the, you know, the, the editor came through and just said, no, 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 I don't need that. And <laughs> even though I argued, and, and she was right. It was, um, I, I, again, it was way too much of me, of me telling rather than showing. Mm. And you're right, Ben, when, you know, you say, obviously, I love Mark's writing, but that first draft that I read, it was still a very good scene. But then when you read the next one, it was just another level, wasn't it? It was completely another level. Yeah. And I I, I wanted to make mention too, because you guys were talking about it earlier, and I think it's on this, is that whole um, iceberg theory of, I think it was Hemingway, I'm not sure he was the first iceberg proponent, but the idea that you only see 10% of the iceberg. So maybe what we're seeing in Mark's first draft here is sort of the 90% of the thinking and the work and the, all the stuff that goes underneath. And then the new draft we're seeing is how that 10% comes out and we're getting hints at all this, the rest of this world and feelings and all these things underneath. And I just think that l- helps people lean. No, I think there's an, there's an important... Yeah. No, go on, mate. There's an important point to make as well, and that is that I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm very conscious of when I'm writing a first draft, that I am overwriting, that I am putting way more in there than I need in full knowledge that I, I'll come back and I will strip and I will strip and I will strip and I'll find the essence. I'll find the essence of a, of a paragraph might be a single sentence and, and that will say all I need to say or I will find the essence of, you know, there'll be particular paragraphs that, that say what I've been trying to say in the following three pages, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so overwriting and then especially, I mean, I, I had a huge problem with this book and that is that I had quite a, quite a complicated adult um, sort of issue about climate change and about the, the sort of campaign to close this power station and coal mine, um, which is not something that kids would generally find interesting or... or or even get involved in if they if they lived in that town. So I found myself writing as much about that as I could to try and explain it. And then I reckon probably I ended up with about, I don't know, five to ten percent of it was what's left in the final draft. <laughs> Incredible. I, I, and and the more you strip, the more you strip, the more you strip, the more you see no, I can say that so much more concisely and that's what I need to do. And I, you're, you're right, Ben, that, that principle of just keeping it simple and not trying to, the story not becoming lost in the language, um, that the yeah. story, you know, get the story out first. You can go back and embellish later if you need to, but, but tell the story and, that, and you'll do that best by writing it simply. Mm. I, I just um, got some feedback on something new I'm working on from a, a very trusted friend in Sydney whose taste I really trust. Um, and he, he, had, he had pretty much crossed out an entire page and he'd circled a line above it and he said, you said all this with this one little moment in this sentence. You don't need to overdo, like trust the reader to see what you're saying in this little sentence. You don't need the rest of this. And that writing, I was so attached to it. Like I spent so long and it was all about the characters and I loved it. But then I cut it out and I thought, you know what? This is way cleaner. It's Mm. cleaner. And it felt less complicated and it felt like I was trusting the reader more. And I think that's always better. Mm. Yeah. And look, I, 
I I think that um, for for writers who who have never been published, I think that's a really good thing to remember that you want to be you want to be presenting a clean manuscript. You want to be you know a clean story, mm. um, and it's something which. Uh, which was one of the first things that I remember when I, you know, when I first got published was one of the reasons we liked the manuscript. It was clean. It was, it was, it'd been really well worked and it was polished and it was almost ready to go. There's still a lot of work to do, but, but, um, but to, to not hand in that overwritten manuscript and, and, and to put <laughs> yeah. and make sure it's as clean as possible when you're submitting. Now, I'm interested, Mark, because you say you overwrite. So how many words does this YA novel need to be? And then how much did you write? And then how much did you strip it back? I've just come out of nano, so I'm just all right, about the okay. word count. <laughs> yeah, and look, word count uh, probably may, may not be as important with, with uh, some other genres, but certainly with YA, you know, you're virtually um, 60,000 words mm-hmm. and you might get away with 65 unless you're, you know, Garth Nix or someone, and, <laughs> uh, but and I'm not. Um, so I get away. I think the longest book I've written, I think Land Defences, was close to 65. Mm-hmm. I know that um, Road to Winter was 58. So with this one, I wrote 70, and I am just looking at the screen at the moment. I'm back to 63.3. Okay, that, on that track. Kind of, that's pretty much where it will sit. I will think. I would think. I don't think I can strip much more out of it without losing. You get to a point where you can't take any more out of it because mm. there's so much that's intrinsic to the narrative and you'll lose that thread. Yeah. That's, that's when it's clean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, that's right. Strip to the bone and can't go any further. <laughs> but I love that about your writing, Mark. That's what I've always loved about your writing um, with your past series is that real cleanness and you say a lot without having to say a lot, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I have to keep telling myself. <laughs> I guess the main thing, and this is just for me, this is probably a question for me, but so it was the thing that I was talking about earlier in the introduction, and that is when you're reading back over your own stuff, how do you know that you need to change it? So I guess what's prompting you to, shuffle the narrative back so you're starting off with him riding the bike and meeting Theo and then the, the more dynamic interaction with Jago and then, you know, he's still on the surf and then he meets Fenner, I think, rather than he's already met her. And it's like, it's so different. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what is the thing that really gets you to... I guess it's such a craft thing. Like, you've got this table that's built but then you're sort of looking at the corners and you're thinking this leg's not quite right. And I just want to know, how do you see, how do you see that? What's the sort of thing that prompts you to see those things? Cause it's something that eludes me sometimes. I think it's a really individual thing for individual writers um, to be able to be able to see that in their own writing. Um, and I, I, for me, it's about, it's about a couple of things. It's about, I, I try, when I go back, I'm thinking about, pacing which I haven't really given a lot of thought to when I'm blur you know I'm, I'm spewing out that first draft and so uh, I spend a lot of time concentrating then on how how fast is this narrative narrative moving and how am I going to get it to move quicker um, because um, 
particularly for young adult, again, there can't be a lot of reflection time. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's very, it becomes very episodic. And it just, you simply move very quickly from episode to episode to episode. And I know, to, so, so maybe to answer your question in a way, I, I, I think you get a sense when those episodes aren't moving quickly enough. Yeah. And you get, you realise that you're getting bogged down in unnecessary detail or unnecessary information about a particular character or their backstory. And then you start to think, well, what, how could I make this work if I just take that out completely, if I strip it right back? And what, what are the ramifications that will have for the rest of the manuscript? Because it's like throwing that stone into a paddle, you know. As soon as you change something at the beginning, then you have the ripple effect all the way through. So, mm. and, and I, think, I think, you know, we talk about kill your darlings. So I, I tend to think it's almost, we're almost a little bit afraid to make those changes because of the work that we know that it's going to give us it's yeah. going to create for us because of that change that we've made. Um, and so I, I, I think principally it's about, for me, it's about pacing and that's what, I'm, that's what I don't give a lot of thought to in my first draft, second, third, fourth. I'm really concentrating on that um, and making sure that, you know, that that reader feels as though they're just being pulled along. Um, so that, yeah. No, that's good. That answers that question. It's really interesting. Thank you for that. Mm. It is. Now, Mark, I love to end with this question. Why do you write? <laughs> Why do I write? Uh, well, I, I think, and I, I, again, I say this to, to a lot of emerging writers and, and workshops and things that I run, and that is that if you don't enjoy sitting down at your computer or with a book and just creating, then you shouldn't be a writer. Um, and that's the thing that I enjoy the most. I love that first draft, you know. Like you're just flying by the seat of your pants and it's really dangerous and risky and you're throwing <laughs> it all out there. Um, and we know that the hard work's going to come later, but, but I actually love that, that, you know, the creation of those paragraphs, like the one that you read out, which isn't going to be in the book. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I love that, just that sense that, you know, I, I look back at the end of, of, a, of a writing session and, and you know that possibly two or three of those paragraphs are going to make it, but the rest isn't, but that's okay. And I really enjoy that creative process. Mm, I love that. And I can't wait when there is a book in a year or however long it is and we can come and talk about it again. Yeah, September, uh, slated for September of next year. Fantastic. Or lo we'll lock it in. We'll pencil it in now, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much um, for your time, Mark. I mean, I think specifically for this episode, you know, where you have to be a bit brave and a bit vulnerable and, and you were all of those things and I really, really appreciate that and listeners have been, you know, really loving these episodes as well. I think it provides just another layer of, of the magic of books, you know, and Ben and I spoke about is this going to take the magic away from books? But if anything, I think it adds to it because how powerful is this conversation of you know when you get that beautiful perfect book in your hand and all the work that goes in before it and you know both Ben and I were English teachers and so many <laughs> students have said to me oh and, well three English teachers here that's why we're having such a great conversation yeah. <laughs> um you know and students have said oh, authors don't think about every single word in novels and I keep saying they absolutely do like believe me when I say every single word you know is, is thought about and pondered over and changed and edited so this um these conversations are really affirming of that 
Well, thanks very much for having me. And, and I think it's awesome the work that you do. I mean, it, I'm sure Ben would, would back me up on this, and that is that, you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like, how many writers there are in this country, and we're all trying to get our book to the surface and, <laughs> and, and you know, sort of at least get a little bit of, get a little bit of, you know, light shone on it. And, and podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft, which is, uh, which not everybody, you know, around the dinner table is always interested <laughs> in my talk. It's great to talk to other writers about it too. Mark, why do you think I started this podcast? I was boring all my friends. I was like, I need to find my people. Yeah. <laughs> Have you found them? Absolutely, absolutely. And Ben, it's always a pleasure to have you jump on. I love you jumping in on these because this is half your brainchild. So thank you. Uh, thank you. I love being a part of it. And I, I totally agree with Mark. Um, it is such an opportunity to do this sort of thing. And, and you do such a good job of, of spotlighting books that maybe, you know, I would have missed. And then I listened to a podcast interview. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I should read that one. So keep up the good work, Dan. <laughs> thank you.